Pastor Saxton Odom here, so thankful that you have decided to join in to Wine on the Church of God's podcast today. We pray that this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and draws you closer to God. God bless you today is our prayer as you listen. How many believes that time is nearer than ever? Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? He's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle, for a church that is ready for the appearing of His coming. How many is looking and watching, amen, waiting patiently for the Lord's return? Hallelujah. What a day it's going to be this whenever Jesus returns for you and I. What a wonderful day. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 24 in your Bibles, if you will, turn there with me this morning. I am uh, excited as always. You know, there are some messages that you uh, don't really know uh, exactly what the Lord's purpose in giving you them are as a minister, but God always knows His purpose, and so you just obey. And then there are others that you know the way God's purpose is, and it makes you even more excited and anticipated to see the Spirit work that out in the lives of the congregation. So this morning, I know, I believe, what God's purpose is in sharing this, and I'm excited about it. Today, I'm going to begin a series called The Restoration of Pentecost. Everybody say that with me. The Restoration of Pentecost. The Lord gave me a word last year that this was to be a year of restoration for our church, but I believe more than just our church, God is wanting to restore Pentecost to the Pentecostal church. And we are in a season of Pentecost. It is going to be Pentecost Sunday next Sunday, and uh, we are celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in these last days, how many know we need the firepower of the Holy Ghost more than ever than we've needed it before? Amen. We need that empoweredness that the Sunday school lesson talked about today and is going to talk about next week. And so today I'm going to begin that series called The Restoration of Pentecost. Luke chapter 24, we'll actually start reading about uh, verse 13 today. And it says, And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they went together, they reasoned among themselves that Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, your virgin may say blinded, that they should not know him. And he said to them, what manner of communication are these that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And one of them whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem that you do not know the things that have happened before these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all men, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And certain women of our company were also astonished, which went to the tomb early and found his body not there when they came, telling that they had seen a vision of angels saying that he was alive. Hallelujah. 
And certain of them which were with us went to the tomb and found it also, as the women had said, empty. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village called Emmaus, and he made as though he would have gone with them farther. I want you to remember that. But they constrained him saying stay with us because it's toward evening and the day is late. And he went inside to tear it with them. And it came to pass as he sat eating with them that he took bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? Everybody said that with me, burn. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And this morning, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to you on the topic of ignited hearts. Everybody say that with me, ignited hearts. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, for your word this morning that we find in Luke chapter 24. God, I thank you for the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, who is just as much alive today as he was some weeks ago when we celebrated his resurrection on Easter morning. God, I thank you that you are alive and seated at the right hand of the Father in all power. And Lord, you have given to us authority, and it's by that authority today that comes from your Spirit that I I pray you'd anoint me to preach and proclaim the Word of God to your people. God, that our hearts would burn just as they did with these men on the way to Emmaus. That when we leave this place, our hearts would not be cold and stony. Our hearts would not be lukewarm. But our hearts would be ignited with the passion and the purpose and the fire of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we could leave this place changed forevermore. And we'll give you the thanks, the honor, and the glory. And everybody said... Amen. Give him a hand of praise, if you will, while you're seated. Amen. Luke chapter 24, this is a story that comes to us after the resurrection. Jesus had been resurrected in all power, and the first people that the resurrected Jesus showed himself to, as we've talked about quite often, was the women who came to the tomb early. He showed himself to Mary Magdalene, a prostitute of sorts, who he had no doubt driven out seven demons from at one time in her life. He, he showed himself to them and gave them great comfort and sent them on their way. And instead of appearing to his three closest friends or his six closer friends or even the twelve disciples huddled in a room scared to death together he decided I'm going to go to some of my followers who were distant followers of mine who are on their way sad and hanging their harp in a willow tree going back to a city called Emmaus I'm going to go to them and I'm going to reveal myself to them so that I can ignite their heart with a fire that will will not be quenched and with a fire that cannot be put out. Jesus had decided he was going to visit two really insignificant disciples on the road to an insignificant place. 
The Bible says that they were so insignificant that nowhere else in Scripture are they named than other right here in Luke chapter 24. Cleopas is the name of one whose name means glory to the Father. And the other disciple, maybe his wife, who is not named. And Cleo for short and his wife were walking on their way to an insignificant city, a place called Emmaus. And although they were insignificant people whose names most did not know, can I tell you that Jesus knew their name? Hallelujah. I'm reminded of the song today that we used to sing and still sometimes do growing in the church that says, He knows my name. Every step that I take, every move I make, every tear that I cry, when I'm overwhelmed by the pain, which is where these disciples were, and can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine. Why? Because He knows my name. Hallelujah. How many are thankful Jesus knows your name? Amen. But not only does He know it today, it's written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Guaranteeing you entrance into the heavenly realm of glory. Why does He know our name? He knows our name because He loves us. He knows our name because He cares for us. But He knows our name because we are His inheritance. We are some of His. Hallelujah. We're some of the king's kids today, praise God, by Jesus' blood. And he knew these disciples' names. Now, I want you to understand they were insignificant in the eyes of most men and insignificant in the fact that they were only mentioned by Luke once in all of the Bible. They were insignificant to that degree. They were insignificant because they weren't really close to Jesus. They were not a part of the twelve. They were not a part of the six. They weren't even a part of the closest three. They, they were some disciples who loved Jesus. Jesus had no doubt impacted their life with His teaching but they had stood far off from him. They were like the disciples on the day of crucifixion where the Bible says that they watched from afar. See, there are some who cleave to Jesus and then there are others who watch from a distance. There are some who really are already on fire, who have ignited hearts, who are following after Him wholeheartedly. They're close to Him. Maybe they're the closest three. Maybe they're the closer six. Maybe they're just thankful to be counted in the number of the twelve. But then there are those who Jesus has touched, no doubt, he, he's, he's ministered to them. They, the Bible has impacted their lives, but they still follow from a distance. They're like the disciples here found in Luke chapter 24 called Cleo and the other disciple. They are those who follow from a distance. But can I tell you, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ today, the same thing is true. As much as Jesus loved Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples, as much as he loved Bartholomew and Andrew and the other John, as much and James, as much as he loved the closer six, he also loved those who followed from a distance. Hallelujah. He also loved Cleo and this other a disciple enough to show up with them on a road to an insignificant place. Two insignificant people. Nobody knew their names. They hadn't been hung in lights. They hadn't been flashed on the Jerusalem square. 
insignificant on the, on the road, on the journey to an insignificant place. Why am I saying that today? Because the Bible tells us that Emmaus, how many has ever heard of the town called Emmaus? Emmaus listed here in Luke chapter 24 was a road to nowhere. It was an insignificant place. In fact, in modernity, there is no archaeological evidence that has been found that can identify exactly where Emmaus would have been in Jesus' day. Scholars and theologians believe they've pinpointed where they think it would have roughly been about 7.3 miles outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus went to these disciples who were on a pretty good journey. A good walk is a seven-mile walk, amen. How many's walked a mile in the last day? Brother Allen has. He did it yesterday at Saturate the City. But if you begin to walk a mile or two miles, you learn something. That's a good walk, Brother Bubba. And seven miles is a really good walk. Seven miles would be about the distance, I think it is, from here to Sister Judy's house, right? About seven miles, maybe a little bit further than that. But it would be a, it would be a little bit close to that distance and... It would take us a good time. We'd be tired, no doubt. But not only were these disciples having this long journey ahead of them, but they were sad. Insult had been added to misery. They were sad on this journey because of something I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. And they were headed to a town whose name means fiery springs. Everybody say that with me. Fiery springs. That's important. And Jesus decided to show up to these two insignificant disciples on the road to an insignificant place and walk every step of this insignificant path with these insignificant people to show them that the story they would tell, hallelujah, the story that they would tell from that moment on would be the significance that gave hope to a hopeless world. You know, when Jesus showed up, they did not know, Brother John, that their story was beginning to change. That after he walked with them on this seven mile journey to Emmaus they wouldn't be sad any longer they wouldn't be discouraged anymore they wouldn't be depressed anymore but their lives would tell the tale of an encounter with the resurrected Savior called Jesus Christ and it makes me think about a lot of the church today it makes me think about a lot of Christians who go through life depressed who go through life sad who go through life enumerated by the cares of life and burdened down and heavy laden and oppressed and depressed by the things that are going on around them. They think they're insignificant people. They think they're on the road to an insignificant place. But oh, hallelujah, Jesus cares about you, friend. He cares about you enough to gather with you on this journey called life and to walk with you every step of the way. No matter who doesn't know your name, no matter what the job is you hold no matter your title Jesus loves you and he's walking with you every step of the journey to where you're headed come on give the Lord a hand clap of praise today hallelujah Jesus loves us though insignificant we are on the road to an insignificant place but the story we'll tell after encountering him is the story that gives hope to a hopeless world. You see, our Savior specializes in taking the worst 
the least of these and making them the greatest, the most significant. And not only did he walk with these disciples, but the Bible tells us that he talked with them. Hallelujah. It would have been enough for him just to have appeared and walked with them. But he's not just a Savior who wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. There's a hymn called In the Garden. And it says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the path to me he discloses. And he walks with me and he what? talks with me and he tells me that I am what his own hallelujah you see Jesus my friends does not just want to walk with us through life but he wants to talk with us through his word and by the power of his spirit and if that hymn wasn't a good enough one for you today there's another one in your hymn book that says just a little talk with Jesus makes it right hallelujah and that if you'll just begin to talk with him and converse with him on this road called life something will begin to change in your soul and in your spirit we've got too many people that are dead half dried up plucked up from the roots today because they don't talk with Jesus because when we get begin to walk with Jesus brother Chris and talk with Jesus he breathes life to our thirsty, hungry souls. The newly resurrected Savior was interested in their story. So we begin to ask them, why are you sad? Why are you depressed? Why are you hanging your head while you're headed back home? Why do you feel like you're an insignificant person on the road to an insignificant place and that life will never get better for you and nothing will ever change? And you know what? They begin to tell him, they begin to tell him we're sad today because of unmet expectations. Everybody say that with me. Unmet expectations. Have you ever wondered why somebody that has it going for them lives in sadness and depression? Now, there are, there are those people who have a tough life. I'll be honest with you. There are those who have a tough life, but that's not most of us. There are those who have a tough life, and they have to crawl and claw and grab to get whatever they have, and they have it tough. Most of us, that, that doesn't apply to our lives today. We're, we're truly blessed. God's blessed us. We, we don't have tough lives. We don't have to scrounge for food. So we can understand why those who have a tough, tough life really get sad sometimes. But why is it that people... People who are blessed the most are the most oppressed. Come on, somebody. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit this morning. Can I tell you a big portion of that is because we have unmet expectations, Brother Chris, when it comes to God. Unmet expectations. Expectations. 
What I'm talking about is these disciples told Jesus that they were sad because they thought this man called Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet that they knew of and had followed even from a distance, would redeem Israel. They thought he'd ride in instead of on a donkey on a white horse and that he would overtake the Roman government and overthrow the Romans. And they thought instead of doing the things that he did that led him to a cross and died, that he would have came in guns blazing in other words that he would have came in dictating to the world and he would have overcome every one of their troubles but their expectation was not their reality the reality was that Jesus did not ride in on a white horse he rode in on a donkey The reality was that really the most angry time Brother Robert Jesus got in 33 and a half years was when he went to the temple and saw them selling and prostituting the worship of God in the temple. And so he got so mad that he drove them out with a whip. And we see these memes on Facebook. Jesus got mad and he drove folks out with a whip so I can too, yada, yada, yada. But you know what? Jesus only got that mad once in 33 and a half years. So every 33 and a half years, you're due your one time of anger like that. <laughs> that. That was only one time. Why? Because Jesus was not as concerned with flipping tables as he was with flipping hearts. Jesus was not as concerned with flipping the tables of society as he was the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls that he encountered. They had unmet expectations when it come to Jesus, Cleo and this other disciple. And it, it reminds me where some of us get sometimes. We've got we're so blessed. We've got it. it we've got it all. We've got a great family. We've got a great church. We've got a great car. We've got a great home. We've got a great job. But yet we think we're insignificant, living in an insignificant life because we have unmet expectations of God. God, you are supposed to do this. God, you are supposed to do it that way. God, you were supposed to heal me yesterday. Come on. And whenever our expectations that we place on God are not met, we become sad. We become like little children. Luke and Laurel are in here this morning, so they may perking up when they hear their names. They're spoiled rotten, I'm here to tell y'all. Spoiled rotten. And yesterday, he got mad at his mama. We were at Laurel's birthday party at the jumpy place down there and. Flowood, and you win tickets and stuff like that from the games that you have. And it was his sister's birthday party, okay? So he should have not even had an expectation in the first place. But he's spoiled, like we are when it comes with God's blessings. He's spoiled, and so he expected, Brother Bubba, to get a toy by himself and not share one with his sister when it came time to redeem those tickets. But mama, being a wise, smart mama, knew that if they both got toys, they'd end up fighting over it. And mama, being a wise, smart mama, knowing she didn't have but only about 250 tickets to redeem, decided, I'm just going to get them a ball that they can play with together. And Luke, who is spoiled rotten, who has so many toys, who has a, a closet full of clothes, you know what he did? He had an unmet expectation and he began to cry and began to pout and throw a fit because he didn't get what he expected. But how like us? 
Whenever it doesn't happen our way, y'all getting quiet right here on me. Y'all still listening? When it doesn't happen our way, whenever God doesn't answer the way we think, when Jesus doesn't come through for us, riding on clouds of glory, performing miracle after miracle after miracle, we get pouty, we get mad, we get disappointed, we get sad, and we want to throw a good hissy fit with God. And because of unmet expectations, these disciples had just hung it all up and said, there's no use. He wasn't who we thought He was. He didn't do what we thought He would do. He didn't say what we thought He should have said. I could preach right here really on a whole other hour, but I'm going to move on today. But Jesus showed up in their lives to tell them, although they had unmet expectations of Him, that He was gooder than they ever wanted Him to be. Hallelujah. That's a good southern word, right? Gooder. He was gooder to them than they ever had a dream that he would be in their lives he was better to them than they could have ever worked for themselves and I come to tell somebody today I don't know what unmet expectation of the Lord you might have but God's been too good to you to pout God's been too good to you to hang it up God's been too good to you for you allow yourself to become depressed hallelujah No matter what unmet expectation you may have of the Lord today, He's still good. And if you'll push back self and if you'll push back the devil, you'll begin to see that it's just you who are pouting over it, not God. (laughs) I'm going to move on. He showed up with them because they had unmet expectations and discouragement. But Luke chapter 24, 16 says something that I found interesting in the story. It says their eyes were restrained or blinded. Or if you've got the King James Version, it said beholden. Their eyes were restrained. Well, what does that mean? There there are two soulish symbols here in this story. If you take notes, write these down. They're the symbol of the eye and the symbol of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 22, that the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. What was he saying? He was not talking necessarily about a physical eye, but he was talking about our spiritual eyes. That if our spiritual eyes are focused, if our spiritual eyes are clear, if our spiritual eyes are not restrained and not blinded, then our our whole spirit, our whole body will be full of light. You see, the light in their eye had been restrained by the circumstances of their lives. We'll say that again. The light in their eyes had been restrained by the circumstances of their lives. Again, unmet expectations, the death of their promised Messiah. But what they could not see was that the promise of the resurrection was standing right in front of them. Hallelujah. He was walking and talking with them. They were so blinded by their unmet expectations. They were so blinded by the cares of life that they could not see Jesus had been with them the whole time. Jesus was walking with them and talking with them the whole time. And I come today to tell somebody, take off those blinders. The Lord and His promise has been standing with you and walking with you the whole time. Don't allow your eyes to be restrained. Allow those things to fall off of you and walk freely in the vision that God has given you. Their eyes were restrained. 
But Jesus showed up to remind them that their miracle was standing right in front of them. So first the eyes, and then lastly, the heart. Now the Bible says that when they got to Emmaus, Jesus was willing to go farther. Aren't you glad that he'll go as far as you need him to go? Hallelujah. He went seven miles. That's a good journey. But he would have walked 14 with them. He'd have walked 50 with them. Because he was willing to go as far as it took for them to realize who He is. And He's willing to walk with you and talk with you as long as it takes for your heart to become ignited, for your eyes to not be blinded and restrained anymore. He's willing to go with you to the palace, but praise God, He'll go down into the pigsty with you as well, prodigal son or prodigal daughter. Hallelujah. He'll take a mile and a journey with you, no doubt, but if you go to the ledges or the hedges, He's there. If you're in the byways or the highways, Jesus is there. He'll walk with you every step of the journey called life. He'll go as long and as far as it takes. Hallelujah. Praise God. But the disciples invited him to stay at their home. And when they sat down to eat, Jesus broke bread, the Bible said. And suddenly, their eyes remembered what their eyes had seen. Their eyes that were blinded, their eyes that were restrained, remembered what their eyes had seen. Standing off from a distance, no doubt they still had saw it. They still had saw Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 whenever he tapped a little boy on the shoulder and said, hey, I've got a multitude of 5,000 men and women and children to feed, and will you help me out, little boy? And the Bible says that the little boy offered up his lunch, and Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and it continued to multiply. Cleo and his wife, they probably remembered that but but they also remembered on over in Matthew chapter 15 where this time it was 7,000 not just 5 and they were all Gentiles and Jesus did the same thing. He took some bread, brother Roger, he blessed it and he broke it and they still had enough. Hallelujah. But they also remembered the stories they had heard from the 12 of the last supper the Passover supper where they were sitting together at the table and Jesus took a bread and he said this bread is the bread of my body that is given for you and he blessed it and he broke it hallelujah they remembered what they had seen Jesus do their eye, the blinders fell off of their eyes because they remembered this is the same Jesus that was with me in that trial this is the same Jesus that was with me that needed to over Overcome that situation. This is the same Jesus that celebrated with me. Hallelujah. And I come to tell somebody that if you'll just open up your eyes, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same Jesus that was there with you when you were 10 years old and you were praying and crying out to God and He came through. He's the same Jesus that healed your body of cancer, that helped you out in that time of loneliness. He's the same Jesus. Hallelujah. And their eyes were opened, the Bible said, and He vanished. Why? Because He had accomplished His mission. He had showed them who He was and revealed to them that He was still the same and that He was still with them. And they looked at one another 
most likely Cleo and his wife, and they said, we should have known that it was him because our heart, everybody say heart, burned within us while he talked with us on the road. Our heart, the literal word here, was set on fire inside of us while he talked on the road. Now, why their hearts? Why not their feet? Why not their ears? Why not their hands? Why not their toes? Why not their brains? Why was it their heart that they said was set on fire? Y'all remember the old song we used to sing in the old Pentecostal church? I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him all over me. Well, it's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping me alive, keeping me alive. I don't know. Y'all might not have sang that song here, but that's what I grew up on. When they get to singing, it's in my, I can feel it in my hands. I can feel it in my feet. We begin to shake our hands. We begin to shake our feet. And after enough shaking, we begin to feel that fire that that song talked about. Hallelujah. So why didn't they feel the fire in their hands or in their feet? Why in their hearts? I'll tell you why. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. I need some uh, congregation participation here. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in what? Come on, y'all say it out loud. For they shall see God. Matthew 5, 28 says, But I say to you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in the... Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your be also. Matthew 12, 34 says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the... The mouth speaks. Matthew 15 and 18, These people draw nigh to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their is far from me. Matthew 15, 18. He says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the... And they defile the man. Mark 12 and 30 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy... With all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And then lastly, Acts 8, 37. Philip said, If you'll believe with all of your what? All of your what? All of your what? I'll ask it for an hour to everybody says it. All of your what? And he said, if you'll believe with all of your heart, you may be saved. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why did the Bible say their hearts were set on fire? It was because Jesus is most concerned with your heart. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Thank you, Spirit of God. Hallelujah for speaking to us this morning. Jesus is concerned with our heart. And He knew that if He could ignite the heart of these men, that their minds would follow. Their flesh would follow. All of them would follow. Will you stand on your feet with me?